You're listening to the Palo Alto Network's podcast series, conversations about securing our way of life in the digital age. Welcome, everybody, to Don't Panic. This is the latest edition of our podcast from Unit 42 at Palo Alto Networks. I'm Ryan Olson, Director of Threat Intelligence for Palo Alto Networks, and with me is Rick Howard. Rick, introduce yourself. Hey, guys. I'm Rick Howard. I'm the Chief Security Officer for Palo Alto Networks. So today's topic is going to be endpoint. And I just made air quotes when I said that because it is a broad term. And Rick, I know you've got some pet peeves about how we talk about endpoint, and I'd like to hear those. Yeah, I, I, this drives me crazy. I, you know, I, part of my job, I spent a third of my job going around talking to security professionals, right? And most of them talk about endpoint as if it's a separate thing, that they have a network security and then they have endpoint security. And ne'er the twain shall meet. And I, I look at them like I want to pull my hair out, right? Because if you just think about what adversaries have to do to be successful in completing their mission, they have to complete a sequence of tasks in the network, on the endpoint. Uh, and it doesn't make sense to consider them two different things. Yeah. Right? So whatever solution you come up with for your endpoint security has to be integrated with all your network stuff too. And that I can't tell you how much that frustrates me that most of us don't believe that. And you know, uh, this is something I've said to many people is attackers aren't trying to compromise networks. They're trying to compromise data. And data lives on endpoints. endpoints. Whatever your endpoint might be, right. that's where the data is. No one is trying to get into your wires or into your airwaves. Because they can't go the anywhere data. from the wires, right? Yep. They have to get to an endpoint so they can uh, go lateral in your network looking for the data they've come to steal or yes. destroy, right? So it is all about the endpoint, but not separately from the endpoint. Because the bad guy has to use the network to get there. So it's better to track them across the entire system than it is to do them individually. I completely agree. And there's a lot of, when we've talked about what endpoint means, there's a lot of different technologies that run on endpoints. So endpoints for defining are computers or phones or devices, the things where the cable ends when you're plugging something into it. So you're right, mobile devices, computers, laptops, servers, printers, faxes, IoT, blah, you know, everything that yep. has an endpoint in your network. Those fixed things. And there's lots of technologies that people have used over time to defend those things. And for a lot of my career, the main thing has been antivirus programs. Mm -hmm. AV was the thing that you used to defend your endpoints. And I think one of the reasons that a lot of people talk about endpoint now is they're talking about endpoint instead of AV. Use some sort of endpoint technology to defend your endpoint instead of using a signature-based antivirus product. And there's, uh, there's a reason for this, right? Because uh, in the old days, when I first started doing this back in the 90s, it was pretty easy to keep an antivirus engine up to date. Right, but uh, and what does, what does that mean? Antivirus vendors would have to write signatures for every new piece of malware. They didn't discover they didn't discover new pieces of malware, but when their labs found it, they had to write a signature and then deploy it to their antivirus engines. That was pretty easy in the '90s, kind of easy in the early 2000s, but that's kind of where it blew up. I don't know what our current count is. What how many pieces of unique malware do we collect it? Palo Alto Networks every day. Millions. Millions. Continuously getting new files. And I, I'd like to just note for that job of writing those AV signatures is really hard. Not because it's hard to detect bad things. It is hard to detect bad things while also not detecting the good things. Right. Because if you, as an antivirus vendor, stop the function of a computer because you detected a Windows DLL as a malicious thing, 
you are in a bad place. So that is really what that challenge was, building that signature set that was tight enough that could fit on a PC and not use all your memory. And then on top of that, be effective at detecting more than, you know, like 40% is what AV really is able to detect these days and not accidentally also detect legitimate things and potentially shut your customer down. Right, and, and do that a million times every day, or 20, yeah. I think 20 million, 30 million is not, not too far away from that, right? So that that is why traditional AV, another air quotes I did, you saw that. Traditional, yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, have really been behind other more advanced techniques for stop or protecting endpoints. So we've seen a huge transition in the last few years. Um, AV vendors changing how they operate and new entrants, including Palo Alto Networks, into this world of helping to defend endpoints with new technologies. Mm -hmm. Rick, what is your favorite one? Oh, You're not biased at all. Not biased. <laughs> we work for a cybersecurity vendor, okay? <laughs> Um, well, one of the stories I always tell, okay, is uh, the, what's the difference between vulnerabilities, exploits, and malware, right? Because in the industry, we kind of loosey-goosey talk about all those things as if they are the same. It is surprising how often people don't have those three things straight, which I think are critical to just sort of knowing where you live. So uh, I had a sales guy give me an analogy, right? So uh, let's go through it, right? Okay. So if I love sales guy analogies. Me They're too, my favorite ones. Because I can understand. <laughs> them, right? So um, if you're uh, trying to protect your house from a burglar, okay, and you don't want them to get in, obviously, you have a security system in your house. A vulnerability in your security system would be something like you bought cheap locks for the front door. Your spouse likes to keep the bottom windows open because whatever, right? Or you have a doggy door for a very large dog in your back door. Those are vulnerabilities in the security system, but they are nothing bad has happened yet. There's no. nothing, no bad guys in your house. It's just weaknesses in the security system. Yep, that's a good description. In software, it's the same thing. Some researcher, either good guy or bad guy, has looked through code and found an area that is weak that might be leveraged later. All right, so that is a vulnerability. For exploits for the burglar, it's when the burglar walks up to your house in the middle of the night, jimmies the front door, jimmies a lock in the front door, sneaks through the open window, or climbs through that doggy door in the back in the back door, right? Now, still, nothing bad has happened yet, except mm -hmm. it's a little bit more dangerous. Now the bad guy's in your house. Okay? They're in your house. But he hasn't accomplished his mission yet. Yep. Okay. It's the same thing for software. Some hacker has written code to leverage one of those vulnerabilities we were talking about before. And if they run it or get a user to run it, now they have access to your endpoint. Yep. Right? Malware is what the burglar does once he gets in your house. Picks up your stereo, picks up your credit cards, and walks out, exfiltrates it through the command and control channel out your front door. Installs some cameras of his own. That's right. Drops okay. a couple microphones. Uh, and that's what happens with malware uh, for software too, right? Once they get on the endpoint, uh, this is the tools, the code they use to find the data they want to steal and how they get it out the back door, right? Nope. Those are three good analogies. Right. Good and I love that story, guy. right? Yeah. And so uh, uh, now... Endpoint protection schemes try to either block exploit from happening or they try to prevent the malware from happening. All right. And so that's kind of the two big buckets of kind of endpoint security services. Yep. So you're generally trying to keep the house safe, not by closing the windows or anything like that. No, why would you do that? That's not, not even, <laughs> we can have a whole conversation about patch management and things like that. But something that I think has become clear in the last 30 years is that people are never going to patch everything. We're right. just not going to get in that position. Um, so instead, try to stop them from jimmying the locks. Try to stop them from doing the things once they get inside the house. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where we've had antivirus and then this newer sort of technologies around preventing exploits. Um, preventing exploits is something that 
Um, we used to see sort of the idea around this with host-based intrusion prevention yep. systems that tried to detect certain exploits when they were coming into a host, and now more modern techniques to try to detect you know actual buffer overflows when they're occurring by monitoring certain types of memory. Those can be very effective. And then we still have this big place over here of detecting and stopping malware from executing. Well, let's talk about the exploits for a second because uh, that one is it's really a definable problem. Yep. Right? The reason exploit detection is easier than, say, malware defense is that there's only a certain amount of exploitation techniques, maybe 30, I don't know, whatever it is these sure. days, right? And they don't change that often. Maybe we find a new one every couple of years. And we all know what they are. Yep. So you can put systems on your endpoint that look for attempts to use one of those tools. And it's like, you know, Ryan mentioned once buffer overflow and heap spray and ROP and a bunch of things I don't understand, right? Sure. But smart people do, and they can write code to look for those kinds of attacks and stop them dead. Yep. All right, so that's a known technology and that works fairly well. The problem is that bad guys don't use exploitation that no. much in the wild. We were talking about this before. It's really not required. Um, so there's, for a long time, I was spent a lot of time tracking exploit kits, looking at new vulnerabilities that were introduced in these web exploit kits. So when someone viewed it in their browser, it exploited that vulnerability, installed malware on their system. The amount of exploitation that we've seen of that kind has definitely dropped. Uh, I mean, in the last five years, we've seen this sort of shift from you know, immediately trying to exploit vulnerabilities. Not that they're not exploited anymore. Right, Absolutely right. still happens yeah, in yeah. many, many ways. Yeah. You're never going to have a network worm that happens entirely through social, right. um, uh, through sort of social interaction. Mm -hmm. But what attackers realize, this is really late 2014 is when we saw this shift. October of 2014 is when we saw this shift in wildfire. Wow. You got a date and everything. Yeah. I saw files coming into Wildfire, Word files and, and Excel files that had malicious macros in them. And we were seeing big volumes of them start to crop up. And they were all installing malware. And the only trick they used was social engineering. They tried to, they showed you a document or an Excel file and they said, click enable active content so that you can view this document. And that enable active content button is the one of the worst things for computers in general, because what it does is it enables macros and makes it so that code that is embedded inside that document can execute, and it can execute with the same privileges effectively that that application, Word or Excel, runs with. And in those cases, you click that button, it downloaded an executable from a website, and then ran it, and you were infected with malware. And there's no vulnerability in there. The only vulnerability was the person who was tricked into clicking that button, because macros are technically allowed to do that. So the, the malware then, what does it typically try to do? It tries to steal your credentials? Sure. Ransomware. What else? What else? Ransomware. We saw right. lots of ransomware. A lot of times that initial thing that was installed by the macro is what we call sort of a downloader. It's the first thing that gets onto the device, and from there it downloads other things, which could so, be ransomware or data theft, whatever it is. So in my burglary example, when it yep. steals credentials, it's essentially the same thing as the burglar copied your keys. Right? Sure. Right. After he got inside, but the way he got inside wasn't by Jimmy in your lock. It was by knocking on the door and saying, "Please give me your give keys. me your keys." <laughs> and, <laughs> and you do. And people do on mass. And I really, at that time, back in 2014, I was like, "People know macros are bad. This will never last." Right. And here we are, nearly four years later, and that is still the number one way that we see malware distributed. Right. Just simply through macros. So exploit prevention, very important, but you still need to stop malware from right. running on your systems. 
which means you've got this other half of the exploit or the uh, sort of defending your house analogy. So and the industry has moved to, and I, I know nobody wants to hear this, but because machine learning and artificial intelligence is the Bu- buzzword. Buzzword okay. activated. But there is a reason that we are all talking about this, right? And the reason is for the first time in my career, security vendors and security practitioners are able to store enough data somewhere so that you can run an artificial intelligence or a machine learning algorithm and have it actually work. Yeah. Right? So, at, you know, at Palo Alto Networks, you know, we've been in business for 12 years. We have petabytes of oh, yeah. data that we know are files that we know are not malicious. We have petabytes of files that we know are malicious. Yep. You run those two through a machine learning algorithm and those algorithms can detect uh, or make a guess for any new file we've never seen before, whether it's malicious or not, and get it 98% right without having to run it in a lab or just by looking at the credentials of the file. That's why everybody is talking about machine learning. Absolutely. All you have to do is have a lot of data that's pre-classified and you can do a lot of really cool stuff with it. And one of the big advantages of using a machine learning algorithm to classify files is that you don't have to constantly update signatures. And you can potentially detect something you've never seen before because it fits into the bucket of bad stuff mm-hmm. based off of what the algorithm was doing. So most of the endpoints have some version of this, okay? Everybody's doing machine learning, okay? Uh, and it goes back to the beginning of this discussion, though, where I pull my hair out talking to uh, uh, security practitioners. They think, many think, that this is a separate kind of tool that they have to have. Right, and then you get into the game of comparing all the different endpoint tools, right, and spending lots of time doing that. Yep. Right. Whereas that's the wrong question to ask. Why are you looking for the less nice shiny feature when really you, what you should be asking yourself is how well does that integrate with all the rest of the tools yep. that I have already deployed? How does this fit into the strategy that right. you've already gone out and employed across your entire network? Exactly. And if the answer is, I'm not sure, then you probably should take a step back. Instead of looking at new products, think about, you know, what is our plan here? How are we closing gaps? What is the additive benefit of adding this particular product? Because it all takes time. Uh, And and that's really funny you say that, right? Because we, you know, you and I, we watch a lot of sci-fi and a lot of, you know, spy versus spy and all that. And in every one of those movies, okay, there is a hacker on the side who is hitting the keyboard hard or fast, or breaking in immediately to whatever thing they're trying to break into. And Speed typing is the best way. That's the to best hacking system tool we have, yeah. and that just you know doesn't really work that way in and, the real world. You yeah. know, we've talked about Mr. Robot many times on this podcast. Of course, we do. And yeah. one of the reasons is it, I love the fact that throughout that program, when people are planning an attack, it's a lot of planning. It's a writing a lot of code in advance, mm-hmm. and then the last thing is hitting enter to run a script which is how computers work. Nobody writes code live and types incredibly quickly and accurately so they can own a system at that moment. It takes planning. Uh, it's the Pwn to Own contest that happens up at CanSec West every year. Yeah. Nobody shows up to CanSec West and starts typing really fast. Everyone comes there with vulnerabilities they've already written exploit code for, they've discovered them, and they click a button and it runs, and it works or it doesn't. That when is how it works. When I was in the service, uh, we we were doing exercises like this, and all the leadership wanted to come watch the offensive hacking going on. Uh-huh. And they came into the big room, and they were watching the team, and the hacker did exactly what you said. They hit the return key, and they went, well, where's the shiny explosions yeah. and the music and all that? It just doesn't where's work. Where's the that laughing way. skull? 
There's got to be a laughing skull. I uh, I think it's much more interesting in those situations to write blue teams because they scramble. They scramble like crazy, finding their data, they're pulling things together uh, because they cannot prepare in the same way. They can't know everything that's supposed right. to have happened up until that moment. They're at that point in a reactive mode. So I think we uh, beat this horse to death. Right? Yeah, I think we've handled that one. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on another uh, Don't Panic podcast from Unit 42 at Palo Alto Networks. We will see you on the next one. See you guys. You've been listening to the Palo Alto Networks podcast series. For more useful information, including conversations like this one, visit paloaltonetworks.com.